Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Happy hump day to you, Ross Tucker. It is fascinating. It is a sprint. I have never seen a process quite like the one we're seeing with hiring head coaches. We'll get into Joe Judge. We'll get into Matt Rule, what Cleveland will do later on. But what strikes you about how quickly this process is moving as opposed to due diligence? Well, what strikes me about it, Dave, is that obviously the guys that are getting hired to this point, with I would argue the possible exception of Joe Judge with the New York Giants, they have other suitors. And as a result, they have leverage, as do the team. So I think what's happening here is with Ron Rivera – Daniel Snyder had fired Jay Gruden way earlier before anybody else. He was able to get on top of that, have the conversations. Ron, you'll be able to bring in the trainer that you want. You'll be able to bring in the coaches you want. You'll help us pick the front office executive. And Ron Rivera had things laid out the way he wanted. And Snyder was willing to give him those things and act quickly Because he felt like Rivera was the number one candidate and he didn't want to lose his guy. And that's the same thing with the Dallas Cowboys and Mike McCarthy. And I know that I talked to Andrew Brandt, who worked with McCarthy in Green Bay, helped hire him in Green Bay this morning. And he said two teams not named the Dallas Cowboys reached out to him about Mike McCarthy. And I think Jerry Jones didn't want to take the chance that McCarthy would get the job somewhere else, whether it's Cleveland or Carolina or somewhere else. And McCarthy thought, ah, bird in hand, Dallas Cowboys, I'll take it. Same thing with Matt Rule. You know, Matt Rule was highly sought after. Everybody, myself included, thought Matt Rule was going to go to the New York Giants. And I think that intrigued the Carolina Panthers. It's like, hey, we can get the guy that the Giants want. We like him. Rule obviously was intrigued by being David Tepper, the new owner's first guy, if you will, his first real hire, the clean slate, the fact that Tepper obviously wants to make it work with Rule, although there are different reports there, which I think is interesting, Dave, that Matt Rule reached out to the Giants and said, hey, here's what Carolina's offering. I'm going. Can you guarantee you'll match that? And I'll fly to New York and I'll meet with you. And they wouldn't do it. So I don't know, Dave, do you look at that and say, wow, that's the Giants being cheap. The Giants should have brought him in and been willing to match that. Or do you look at that and say, no, no, no. The Giants found a guy they like better and they stiff armed Matt rule. Both sides are kind of trying to play that at any rate. That's why Rule got yeah. hired because he had options. The only guy, the only the only speed move that is a little bit interesting 
is the Joe Judge one with the Giants. So the question is, was that already in the works? Or on some level, was it a reaction to the perception that the Panthers stole their guy? And that is the process question I don't understand. Yes, Ron Rivera was going to be hired. Mike McCarthy was going to have opportunities. Matt Rule clearly had an opportunity with the New York Giants. Those three, you can understand the rush. I don't get it with Joe Judge. Look, all the hot takers out there when this story broke about how this is a terrible hire and this guy doesn't know what he's doing and he's a wide receivers coach and this and that. No one knows if Joe Judge is going to be a great head coach. What the media, we the media does with head coaching hires each and every year is probably wrong 75% of the time. And anyone that tells you they know exactly what type of hire this is at 38 years old, having worked for Nick Saban and Bill Belichick, doesn't know what they're talking about. Unless you've talked to Bill Belichick, you probably don't know what Joe Judge is made of. We certainly do not. But I know that if you studied under two of the best head coaches in the history of our sport, arguably the two best, then, well, that is a pretty good resume. But I don't understand the rush to hire a guy like Judge before they even interview Josh McDaniels, which is one of the questions I have about the Giants process is, did they talk to Bill Belichick? Presumably they did, or they wouldn't hire a special teams coordinator. And if they did talk to Belichick, did he not recommend hiring Josh McDaniels, who now has just the one job, potential job, in Cleveland that's available to him? Of course, there's some great candidates that are also interviewing with Cleveland, including Eric Bieniemy, which we'll get into later in the show. I did not mind Matt Rule calling the Giants and say, do you want to match this? A lot of Giants fans and media members were were angry about the attempted money grab. That's business. That is a smart play right there by Matt Rule, who clearly did want to consider going back to the Giants where he worked, and, and this is the area he's from. But David Tepper just changed the entire coaching process. Yes, John Gruden makes more money and a longer commitment, but most people around the league consider the the Davis family, you know, and everything that goes on with the Raiders just kind of an outlier. Um this will probably reset the market for head coaching hires in the future. If you are a current or a future head coach in the NFL, thank David Tepper for paying an absurd amount of money. Could be worth $70 million over over seven years. Let's listen to Peter King yesterday on WFAN talk about this extraordinary sprint to the finish line regarding the hiring of head coaches. I think one of the one of the real insane, really crazy things about this whole process is how every team just really sprints to try to get a coach after the season. Right. Uh, it, it's just I think it's I just think it's crazy. I, I just really do. And I point to the Frank Reich hiring. Um, he may turn out to be the best hire of 2018. You know, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's uh, it, it's still young, just like um, the year that Doug Peterson got the job. He may turn out to be the, the best hire of that season, and that one took a while, and he was not seen to be a strong candidate that year. Peter King, yesterday on WFAN in New York City, always available on the Radio.com app. Uh, 
What do you make of, of Peter's assessment there? I prefer a long, drawn-out process where you interview all types of different candidates. But again, we get those first three hires. I like the way Cleveland's going to do it. No idea how it's going to end up. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about this and we will more a little bit later in the show. I do think, you know, I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth, Dave, right? On the one hand, I really like the position that the Cleveland Browns are in right now. They can take their time. They can interview every candidate they want, come back with a wealth of information about their team, about processes, and feel really good that they're getting the best guy available. The flip side, though, Dave, is I actually thought Ron Rivera and or Mike McCarthy were the two perfect guys for the Cleveland Browns. And my three favorite candidates this hiring cycle, Mike McCarthy, Ron Rivera, and Matt Rule. (laughs) So that's the negative. But to your point, Frank Reich and Peter King's point, how about Doug Peterson? Back in 2016, Eagles didn't hire him until after the divisional round, after the Chiefs lost to the Patriots. And most rankings of the head coaching hirings had him dead last. They had him eight out of eight. I think there was eight new coaches hired in 2016. And I would argue, and I posited this on Twitter yesterday, at Ross Tucker NFL, you're at Dave Briggs TV, we are at our DC home and home. I think Doug Peterson has been the best head coach in the NFL over the last three years. I mean, he wins the Super Bowl with a backup quarterback. Then the next year, he wins a road playoff game and gives the Saints all they could handle with a backup quarterback. Then this year, third straight playoff berth, another division championship, had a starting quarterback this time. It was just backups everywhere else, every other position. I mean, what coach has done more with less over the last three years combined. I don't think anybody than Doug Peterson. So if you're a Browns fan, you take a a lot of uh, comfort in that and Frank Reich, I think. It has been a fascinating process. We have a poll up at RDC Home and Home. Who made the best hire at head coach right now? It is Dan Snyder leading the way, hiring Ron Rivera with 46%. We encourage you to weigh in on this poll, and Ross and I will order our head coaching hires later on in the program. Let's ask the commissioner about all this. What does he think of this crazy process? The commissioner of the XFL, Oliver Luck, joining us on Home and Home this morning. Sir, it is great to have you. It's Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker, wonderful to have you on the show. The XFL season kicks off February 8th, six days after the Super Bowl. We'll talk about all the rule changes, the fascinating overtime shootout shortly. But what do you make of this crazy process in the NFL, hiring coaches in a sprint and the massive amount of money being paid to head coaches? Well, first of all, good morning. Uh, It's great to be on your show, Ross and Dave. Thanks for having me. You know, every year, right, there's a a frenzy to to get the right guy. Uh, You know, it it happens quickly. But, you know, keep in mind, right, general managers and others, they kind of have an idea of who's out in the marketplace. They started their homework, you know, months ago in terms of trying to figure out, uh, you know, who, who might be of interest to them. So, uh, you know, they're getting the best guys they possibly can. And, and you know, you really don't know for, for the next three or four 
you know, years, right? It takes, I think, that long for a coach to kind of put his fingerprints on a, on a franchise and, and get him going. I love the Ron Rivera hire. I, I think Ron is a hell of a coach. You know, I really do. And I think he'll, he'll do well in D.C. And I, I love the McCarthy hire as well. Uh, I, I, think, I think Mike's going to do a fine job. Oliver, last question on that. Uh, just while we have you, the Browns are the only team that don't have a head coach yet. Do you feel like they're in a good position now in the sense that they can take their time and interview all the remaining guys, or are they in a bad spot because arguably the top three guys are off the board? Yeah, you know, it, it depends on, on sort of how they had uh, you know, the three guys who are gone, how they had them rated, quite honestly. I, you know, so it's, it's, I think, difficult to say. They do have the benefit of having some time you know, to interview the, the, the candidates they want to interview, but you know, and, and we'll probably never know where they where they had you know McCarthy rated or you know where they had Ron rated or you know whether whether Joe Judge was rated at all, right? Because he kind of was was not on on most folks' radar screens. But I'm not sure we'll ever know. So in a sense, it is what it is. But they've got the time now to to get the right guy for their franchise. All right, let's talk about some of the interesting new rules you guys have unveiled for the XFL season, which opens just a week after, six days after the Super Bowl in Miami. One of the most fascinating ones is in stark contrast to what we've seen in the NFL the past two postseasons, and it's regarding overtime. We saw Patrick Mahomes sitting on the sideline last postseason because a coin flip essentially determines how overtime games end of the postseason. And then we saw Drew Brees on Sunday without an opportunity to go out there and at least tie the game against the Vikings. You guys do it dramatically different. It is a shootout-style overtime procedure. Describe it for us. Well, we, we thought it was important that the you know starting offense, starting defense of, of the two teams that got you, you know, through the 60 minutes of regulation, in other words, got you into overtime, that, that those – you know, 44 players should be the ones who decide uh, overtime, right? So, uh, in our in our overtime, uh, Team A, the offensive Team A, you know, plays against the uh, defensive Team B, and and vice versa, and they alternate alternate plays from the five yard line, plays from scrimmage, no no kicking involved. And so it's very much sort of like, uh, as you pointed out, a hockey shootout or or a soccer shootout. So, uh, you know the 22 starters of, of Team A and the 22 starters of Team B are really the ones who decide overtime. And we think that that's a, a very fair system because those are the 44 players that more or less got the, you know, got the, through the 60 minutes of regulation. What, what are the other rules? I know that, you know, a lot of people are excited about the potential of the nine-point touchdown, Oliver, and – I'm curious if you can kind of work your way through how you guys arrived at that possibility. So we, we uh, spent a lot of time, you know, looking at extra points, right? And even with, you know, the, the National Football League moving the kicker back, uh, it's still, you know, almost a fade all complete, right? Uh, the extra point kick, you know, it's, it's become somewhat of a meaningless play. So we thought we would try to do something that would bring a whole bunch more strategy into the decision surrounding an extra point. So a touchdown in our league is worth six points, just like, you know, traditional football. But then you have a one point, a two point, and a three point option. They're all plays from scrimmage. The one point uh, option is a, is, a, is a play from the two yard line. The two point option, a play from the five yard line. And the three point option, a play from the 10 yard line. So, you know, we think that makes sense because it just brings a boatload of strategy into the game. And, you know, 
strategy is what I think fans love about about football. You you can second guess a coach on if he's going for one or or two or three. And also, and this was important to us. Also, it allows I think a nine point touchdown allows a team to get back into the game you know much more quickly. So we we think that makes sense. We think there'll be a premium on on strategy. In fact, one of our head coaches, he'll remain nameless, you know, said to me privately that you know he was thinking if his team scored a defensive touchdown, right, a pick six or a scoop and score, you know, because of that quick momentum change, he thought that that may be a time to go for three, even if it's early in in, in the ball game. So I think that'll be fun. Our fans really, really liked that aspect of, of our rules innovation. And excitement is where a lot of these rules are geared, including the changes to kickoffs and punts and what we've seen in the NFL, the double forward pass, which will be allowed in the XFL. How do you balance the desire for excitement and more scoring with the desire across the country for for safety as well? Well, you know, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, right? So, you know, the health mm-hmm. and safety is is certainly important. And, and, and you know, 20 years ago, people weren't really talking about it in terms of rules. But today, it's, it's front and center as it should be. And as a former player myself, as the father of a recently retired player, you know, health and safety is something that, that plays a role. So as we looked at all of these innovations, we wanted to do a couple of things. Number one, make sure we weren't going in the wrong direction as far as health and safety is concerned, because, you know, we care about not just our players, but all players. Uh, we also didn't want to do things that appeared to be gimmicky. And that that, that was clear from our our work that, that we did with uh, with fan groups, with focus groups, and all the market research. You know, fans don't want gimmicks. Fans love traditional football. So uh, we had to be also selective in the changes that we made from, let's say, from the NFL rulebook, because you know we want we we want players to go out and play and not have to worry as they're fielding a punt if they're in college or in the NFL or in the XFL, right? We don't want you know too much thinking going on in a sense. So uh, all of those were factors as we kind of put our rules rules together. We worked with a whole bunch of uh, very experienced people. We got a bunch of retired coaches, guys like John Fox and Jim Caldwell, uh, current coaches, Jim Harbaugh helped us with this effort, got a bunch of players, including Doug Flutie. I really wanted the guy who had played quarterback in both the NFL and in the CFL because they do some interesting things up in the CFL that uh, some American football fans, quite honestly, aren't, aren't that aware of. So we got uh, health and safety experts. We got TV people. We got some some tech people. Uh, we really wanted to make sure that uh, we had, had good filters so that the innovations that we ultimately implemented were ones that really made sense and were all sort of backed by an underlying rationale, which basically is to allow us to play you know, an up-tempo, fast-paced game. Uh, probably the most consequential change that we've made is the 25-second clock compared to what, uh, what, what, what we're used to now, which is a 40-second clock. So we think that, combined with the the, the ball-spotting official, is really going to help us play that fast-paced, up-tempo game that we're aiming for. Oliver, you mentioned uh, your son. I'm just curious, because you and I talked, I guess maybe it was last year at the Super Bowl. Um, I'm curious, uh, what were your emotions uh, when when Andrew made the decision that he did, and how's he doing now? Uh, thanks for asking. He's doing great. He and his wife had the first uh, child, our first grandchild, about six weeks ago. Uh, we were with him over the holidays. Uh, he's, he's doing great. Very, you know, he's healthy, happy. Um, you know, we were, we, we wanted my wife and I whatever Andrew wanted. Right? He's, uh, he's a smart guy. Uh, played the game, loved it. Gave gave the, everything he had 
you know, to the game, and it got to a point where he just felt like he couldn't go on. So we, you know, supported that decision 100. percent I've said this before, uh, but I, I, I truly believe that you know everybody in, in the National Football League—it's obviously an intense physical game. Everybody's got an alarm clock. And, you know, very often that alarm clock goes off at times when they don't expect it. Usually it's when the coach tells you that you're cut, <laughs> you know, where they put you on waivers. But uh, yeah. for those guys that are sort of fortunate enough to determine their own, you know, fate, uh, that, that alarm clock goes off. Uh, and whenever it goes off, it goes off. So we, we supported him uh, 100% in his, in his decision. But for a lot of us, and we're talking Oliver Luck, the commissioner of the XFL, season opens February 8th. For a lot of us, we just hit the snooze button for a while, Commissioner, and then, and then we wake up again. Uh, any chance he comes back to the game he loves? Well, I, you know, I, I, I hate to speculate, and I can't really speak for him. I can tell you he's, he's very buoyant, upbeat, you know, positive, uh, in, a, in a great place. I, I didn't, at least over the holidays, notice any desire to get back in the field. So, uh, but I guess I wouldn't rule anything out. The Judge puns are going to get ugly in New York City. They've got Aaron Judge, the star of the Yankees, and Joe Judge now coaching the Giants. And here are the headlines on the back pages. Judge overrule the New York Daily News. The judge is in on the New York Post. This is my question and my pun for the day. I'll just use one. A rush to judgment on both halves. The fans rushed to judgment. The media rushed to judgment in terms of how bad a hire this was. But I don't understand why the rush to judgment from the New York Giants. No one was going to steal Joe Judge out from under you with the exception of his alma mater, Mississippi State. Take your time. Kick the tires on Josh McDaniels. Unless, of course, the great unknown there is if Bill Belichick for some reason recommends Judge over McDaniels. Needless to say, they talked to Bill Belichick about a 38-year-old special teams coordinator, and I would think Josh McDaniels came up in that conversation. That is my biggest question regarding hiring someone out of New England. But let's listen to the reaction from WFAN to the hiring of Joe Judge, the stunner, yesterday morning. Peter, we got some breaking news for you. This is coming from Adam Schefter's verified account. New yep. York Giants are finalizing a deal to make Patriots wide receivers coach Joe Judge their next head coach. I've never met him in my life, so I I hate to say it, but that that is as much as anything that's happened in any of these jobs, that one shocks me. Wow. Somebody from the SEC somewhere, somebody said, oh, don't hire Joe Judge. There's a lot better candidates than him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm stunned. I think that that reaction, Joe Judge Joe really. Judge? Joe Judge really, I think, was the reaction oh from every Giant I'm fan sh- now, at about 11.45. It shows the ineptness of this organization, but it's it's been like that for a while, and we kind of think that they're going to get, they're going to move on and they're going to do something better, and it just seems to be come back and come back and come back. I don't even think this is Gettleman's fault. I think this is Marin Tish's fault because if they wanted him and everything showed they wanted him, you don't hesitate at all. You go, you offer them everything that they want, any concerns that they want, especially in my personal opinion, rules probably a big concern for him is Gettleman. 
I'm not going to BS you guys. Um, I saw Rule was going to the Giants. Credit to David Tepper. I mean, I like, I mean, for a new owner to come in and swoop in and do this, um, it's very impressive. You sure this isn't like an Adam Schmurfter account or Ian Rapapoo or one of these fake accounts that we think is a real account and it's not verified? You know, Jason Schmock and Florka. So I go and I look, and damn it, it was! Joe Judge is the next head coach of the New York Giants. I cannot believe that the Giants in this stage of their organization couldn't even get Matt Rule in the building and then ended up hiring a guy who hasn't even had coordinator experience. Radio.com Red Zone with WFAN in New York with some great and uh, diverse reaction to the hiring of Joe Judge. Later, we'll hear from WFNZ in Charlotte how they reacted to Matt Rule and the massive contract handed out, which I think resets the entire market for coaches in the NFL. It is going to change at breakneck speed in the years ahead. Ross, let me recycle my pun. Why the rush to judgment, though? And what do you make of the fact the judge gets the job over Josh McDaniels? Well, all all good questions, Dave. So first of all, you make a good point. I think the rush to judgment was Mississippi State. You know, if you're Joe Judge, he was going to take one of those two jobs. He was he would have taken I mean it's his alma mater. I think he was going to take the Mississippi State head coaching job. So the only explanation there or twofold, right? Threefold. Yeah. Number one, they knew he was the guy they wanted. Why wait? Hey, people get engaged after a couple weeks. I knew she was the one I wanted. Number two, he needed to know Mississippi State offered him the job. Like, I, I need to know. They're offering me. I never made that much money. They're offering me $6 million a year to coach college football. Like, do you want me or not? If you want me, I'd rather be a Giants head coach, but I kind of need to know. Uh, and then number three would be as a PR move almost and a reaction to the Panthers hiring Matt Rule because they knew the perception would be that the Panthers stole their guy that they didn't get their guy. So those are the three reasons there. As for why Judge and not Josh McDaniels, that is an interesting one. And so you wonder, did Belichick give a more favorable recommendation? Because he's got so much respect for the Giants and the Mara family. Did Belichick give a more favorable recommendation for Judge than he did for McDaniels? And then if that's the case... Did he do it because it's what's best for the Giants? Or did he do it because he didn't want McDaniels to leave? He, judge, judge is replaceable. Yeah. McDaniels isn't. You know, I, I got to tell you, I'm not big on uh, I'm not big on trusting Belichick's motives. Let's put it that way. I, I, I have to entirely agree with you, and that was my instant reaction here. There is no way, no chance the Giants organization – hire Joe Judge without the explicit recommendation of Bill Belichick, which implies that he might have preferred they hire Judge over McDaniels. And yes, we don't know the reason. The question we asked you on Twitter yesterday, what professional athlete deserves a beating? Would you like to see Step in the Ring and take a beating? We asked that because Antonio Brown challenged a YouTube star, Logan Paul, to a fight, Logan Paul stuck the landing. I'll drop you faster than the Patriots. 
Ross, uh, look, I had a lot of answers for this. Uh, I think Colin Kaepernick, I'd like to see him step into the ring. And I certainly would like to see Philip Rivers take a few shots to the jaw. Yeah, well, you know my answer. I, I want it to be Belichick, and I want it to be the Patriots beat writers. I want it to be like <laughs> Digstown, the movie Digstown, and every every Patriots beat writer gets one round in the ring against Belichick because he's so condescending. He's such an ass to them in those press conferences. I can you imagine? I mean, you worked there, Dave. If yep. I was there. For like 10 years, I mean, I would daydream about getting a chance to push, punch him in the face if I were a member of the media. I actually liked him as a player, but if I was somebody there for 10 years asking those questions and being like, no, 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 oh, I would daydream about getting a chance to hit that dude. I worked uh, as essentially a beat reporter in Boston for six seasons. And while my first, first few years were hating those press conferences, I came to appreciate it. I came to laugh off the, the, gr the grumpy, angry answers and really look for the nuggets in there. We became we had a little game where we'd like to quiz Belichick about a moment six, seven, eight, ten years ago in his career and see how well he could remember it. And every time he remembered the incident with incredible encyclopedic photographic knowledge of the very moment and the situation. So yeah, I don't know. I would be curious how the guys that have been there, you know, 10, 15 years, I think they've probably come to appreciate it and laugh it off, but I did love your answer and I'd love to see it. Although I, I tell you, some of those beat reporters would take a beating. Mike Reese is awesome, but Belichick would crush him. Uh, yeah, you're probably right, but uh, I'm. You know what? I think Mike's a little feistier than you think. I'd like. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see Mike. I think Mike can. I, I think Mike can probably move pretty well. All right. Well, one guy that was not in love with our take, our uh, concept, our discussion, our question for the viewer was Stephen Ruiz. He's the lead NFL writer for the win. Got to follow them on Twitter. Always outstanding conversations whoa, whoa, whoa. being had there. Let me, let me get the first question here, okay? Can <laughs> I get the first question, Dave? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Please. Steve, Steven, why do you hate me? Why do you hate I, me? <laughs> I don't hate you. I hate your takes. And specifically, I hate your Kyle Allen takes. <laughs> so do All I. Right. So, does, so does Dave, by the way. So you guys, you guys will team up on me on that one. But let's start with the segment we did yesterday. Because um, I got to be honest with you, Stephen, I, I was not familiar with your work until you started tweeting me and making it clear you hated me. And then now I've been following you a little more. So maybe it works. Maybe that's what we should all do. Just make it clear you hate somebody and then you can get their attention that way. But one of our millennials, actually he's not even a millennial. What's he, Dave? Generation Z? What's Jordan? Generation Z? Z. Yeah. He came up with the idea after the Antonio Brown thing, and we thought it was a good idea. He's like, who in, who in uh, professional sports would you like to see get, get in a fight, get in, a, get in the ring? And so I tweeted, which current sports figure would you most like to see get the crappy out of them, like Logan Paul would do to AB? Kind of joking there, but whatever. And you said, um, you tweeted, Stephen, this is a very cool and definitely not unhinged segment to do so, you were very critical of the segment, and we wanted to afford you the uh, the platform to explain why. 
have you guys talked to anybody on Twitter? Have you seen sports fans on Twitter? I feel like they take a question like that and run with it. And some of the comments, the replies to that tweet were pretty unhinged, I'd say. Uh, I like athletes. They entertain us. I don't want to see the crap get beat out of any of them. I mean, maybe there's some that deserve to be punished by the law, but I don't know if I want to see any of them get the crap beat out of them. That's not why I watch sports. That's not why we watch sports either. There's there's no one you'd like to see in all of sports today or in the past step in the ring and and exchange a few blows. Nobody. That's a different question. Like, I want to see some guys box, but I don't want to see guys get the crap beat out of them just to see them get the crap beat out of them. I mean, like I said, there are some guys that are obviously not good people. I'd put Antonio Brown in that category. But that's like... A, a serious discussion about the law and stuff. I didn't want to see him just get the crap beat at him for just because he dunked on my team one time or beat me in the Super Bowl. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. Anybody in the media you'd like to see take a beating? Other Present than me. Besides, besides for us? <laughs> oh, okay. We were on the same page there. Uh, no, no. Okay. All right. So, so Steven, here's my thing. Um, because you, you replied with a couple more tweets because people – was your issue that people would respond um, and say things like, I want to bash Clowney's head or whatever that one guy said? Or was your issue just naming anybody that you'd like to see get in a ring and get punched? Like, I thought my Belichick thing was funny. You know, right. uh, Dave thought um, – you know, Philip Rivers, because he's always talking trash. You also thought Kaepernick because of what Kaepernick said about Iran recently, and he didn't feel like Kaepernick was informed on that. Was your issue just the fact that we were naming people or that it could in, in, in encourage people on Twitter to take it to another level that was not where we were taking it, where they're like right. verbally describing the people in the way they want to see them smashed or whatever? Yeah, it was mostly that second thing. But, I mean, even the first part is a little, I don't know, like beating up Colin Kaepernick because maybe he doesn't have the most informed take on Iran. I don't I don't know about that. But, yeah, it was mostly that second part because, like I said, have you met sports fans on Twitter? Yeah, yeah they I are they are an extraordinary group. But I want to I, I want to see let, – I want to get some, some takes from Steven Ruiz here, okay? So uh, earlier on a Radio.com affiliate, Terrell Owens – was making some interesting uh, points. He suggests that the Dallas Cowboys should not want Dak Prescott. They should want someone else to play quarterback next season. Let's listen to what uh, what Terrell Owens said on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas, and I want to get your take out on the other side. Listen. My other idea, I don't know if you guys follow me on Twitter, my other genius idea, this is, this is T.O. the GM's speaking and thinking right now. All right. They've already made the one move that I mentioned, and that's hire Mike McCarthy. In order for Jerry to get back on top and put the Dallas Cowboys um, back in contention for a legitimate Super Bowl, they have a quarterback that's a free agent in Tom Brady. That's the next move. And I'm not saying that, say that to discredit or discount what Dak has done and his availability and his skill set. But I say that because he hasn't extended Dak's contract. 
so that leads me to believe he doesn't truly believe in Dak. If he had, then I think he would have already got a contract extension. Terrell Owens, 105.3, the fan in Dallas. I'm going to hold off my opinion on that. Steven, what do you think about that idea of Tom Brady next season over Dak Prescott in Dallas? I have to ask, when was the last time T.O. watched an NFL game? Was It had to have been before this last season. Because Dak was better than Tom Brady this last season. I know he had a better supporting cast, but just when you separate all that, Tom Brady missed a lot of throws that we're not used to seeing him miss. And Dak Prescott, I think, was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I know there were certain games when his accuracy let him down. He held the ball too long. But I still think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And I think it's been a year and a half since we've been able to say that about Tom Brady. So, And then there's just the age thing. I mean, you sign Tom Brady, how long are you going to get him? One, two years? I think Jerry Jones is trying to build something for the future. And Tom Brady is not going to be a part of your future. Matt Rule, seven years, $60 million, possibility of making $70 million for a man who's never been a head coach in the NFL nor a coordinator. And judgment passed right away on Joe Judge, the special teams coordinator for the New England Patriots, going to the New York Giants as their head coach, 38-year-old Joe Judge. Home and Home, a Radio.com Sports Original. We're brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Check them out. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter the only people that hire faster than NFL teams snag their head coaches. Coming up in just a bit, what moment in sports history would you tattoo on your body if you could pick just one? Well, one NFL fan has the Miles Garrett helmet swinging incident at the quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mason Rudolph Garrett suspended for the season. Why did he do that? We'll talk about that in just a moment. But we start with the coaching carousel, which has just about come to a stop. Just one open job, and that is in Cleveland. A lot of quality candidates. Uh, Stefanski, Biannimi, McDaniels, a lot of coordinators in the running for the Cleveland Browns head coaching job. But it was Matt Rule that really stunned the sports world in terms of how quick it came together and the money that was paid to the former Baylor coach. He turned around Temple. He turned around Baylor in breakneck speed. And that's how fast David Tepper found his man. Let's go to WFNZ, Charlotte, North Carolina, a radio.com affiliate with instant reaction on their new head coach. Steve Smith Sr. is back with us. Uh, hey, Matt Rule's the next head coach of the Panthers. What you think? Uh, I think it's a good. I think it's a good call. Now it's going to be what happens now that he's a head coach. It's a fantastic hire. He has coached just about every position on the football field. He's as well-rounded of a candidate as you could find, and he is a great leader of men. Somebody who's been well-respected in both college locker rooms and in the NFL. Two of his big calling cards are that he's a really bright, forward-facing guy. And yes, that does mean he knows how to implement information a la analytics, but also his player development. And I think those were the two things. If you could pick out two things that maybe Ron Rivera, quote-unquote, didn't do. This guy's been a builder in different places. Temple was kind of a disaster when he took it over. He built it into a heck of a, a, heck of a good job. Then you go back and look at Baylor with going through the Art Bryles stuff and look at what they did last year, took Oklahoma to the limit twice and almost got into the college football playoff. 
I don't think this job is nearly the build job that he's taken before in college football. For the first time in about six weeks, I feel I, I, I at least have hope and I'm excited because we actually have the direction that our franchise is going in. And this is going to be an interesting offseason to say the least. I hope we keep Cam, but I'm actually excited, guys. So keep pounding. Let's go. If we feel confident in Cam Newton beyond next season, then there you go. You've got six more years under contract. You've got your franchise quarterback in his 30s. Let's roll with him. That's reaction to the hiring of Matt Rule, the former Baylor head coach WFNZ in Charlotte, North Carolina. We know this about Matt Rule. He is a turnaround expert. He came to Tampa first year, 2-10 in 2013. Two years later, they were 10-4. and four. Baylor, first year in shambles after Art Bryles one eleven in 2017, eleven and three in 2019. But Ross, this isn't necessarily with the Panthers a turnaround type situation where you have to change the culture. Nonetheless, you love this hire. Well, I do, and that's because I've known Matt for a long time, and he's very impressive. Um, I'll go way back, Dave. Uh, when I first met him. He was the offensive coordinator for Temple. As you know, I live in Pennsylvania. I have a recruiting business. I do a lot of stuff with high school football. And he he was everywhere. In fact, that whole Temple staff was. Al Golden was the head coach. And they were everywhere. High school coaches were everywhere. Prospects were. It was impressive. And every one of them, including Matt, would stand there. They would talk to you. And they were all over it. I mean, they would have great conversations with you. And they said, this is where you got to be. This, I mean, we're trying to build this thing. You got to come to stuff like this. The Pennsylvania State Football Coaches Convention, they were there. Um, and then I would go to their camp, and they liked some of the prospects that would send down. There. So he was always impressive that I mentioned, interviewed him for the Princeton head coaching job. He was very impressive. Everybody was sort of blown away by what he did. Uh, he didn't end up getting offered the job. I don't know if he would have taken it anyway, but he certainly was one of the two or three best we interviewed for sure. Ended up going to the NFL with the Giants, had a good experience there, gets the head coaching job at Temple. And Temple had kind of come back down. They were up with Al Golden. They kind of went down. They bring him in, and he takes him the heights that Al Golden wasn't even able to take him to. Then you go to from Temple to Baylor after the Art Bryles thing. I mean, Dave, who wanted to go to Baylor? Baylor was 1-11. and 11. It was an absolute joke. And then this year, they go out, and their only two losses are to a much more talented Oklahoma team by this much in each game. He is, uh, you know, he's done it in multiple places. Very impressive guy when you talk to him, when you interview him, all those things. Doesn't have a ton of NFL experience. That would be the negative. And we'll see if that is a negative for him. But for him to get that job, I mean, David Tepper could have had a lot of different guys. The owner for the Panthers. He identified rule more than anybody else. I think a lot of people thought Josh McDaniels might go to the Carolina Panthers. Nope. He wanted Matt Rule, which tells you a little bit about how impressive he is. If you're Matt Rule, the chance to go somewhere where you are the first hire for that owner, I mean, you can't get much better than that, Dave. The biggest story in the NFL universe 
exponentially was the Mason Rudolph suspension swinging Mason Rudolph's helmet at the Steelers quarterback. Some felt this was an incident that could have killed the Steelers quarterback had he hit him with the crown of the helmet on Rudolph's head. Thankfully, none of that happened. Garrett suspended the rest of the season. Fines were handed out. I think when we look back on this NFL season, the 100th, that will certainly be one of the moments we remember in history, and it is immortalized on the skin of an NFL fan, and that fan joins us now. Adam Elkert tattooed the Miles Garrett helmet swinging incident on his body, joins us now. It is awesome to have you, Adam. First, can you show us the tattoo? Where is it? Yeah, I can. It's uh, on my leg right here. I couldn't see it. Dear God, right that is glorious. So you've got Dog Pound, and then you've got Miles Garrett, yes, swinging Mason Rudolph's helmet at him. Why in the world, of all the moments in sports history, did you want that tattooed on your right leg? Uh, I guess it wasn't really specifically something that I, I, I chose. It was just something that um, a friend of a friend have put out on uh, Facebook. And um, he's reached out to me knowing that I was originally from Ohio, living in Texas, was a, a big sports fan. And he put it out there to put his name out there. And so I would be honored to just to put that opportunity on my leg, especially stir the pot a little bit. Why not? Adam, I don't know if you could hear me earlier or not. What's wrong with you, bro? I mean, where, where, where did it all go wrong that you get a tattoo <laughs> that big of that incident on your leg? Like, what, what is, like, what is going through your head when you did that? I mean, no, nothing special. It's just a, a big moment. I mean, nothing against my team or the Browns, but they haven't really had anything super exponentially exciting to tattoo so i mean when they get something big maybe i'll get another opportunity to tattoo my leg but this is it for now <laughs> all right all right take us back through your long tortured history of becoming a browns fan uh why are you so attached to the organization and how agonizing has that been for you <laughs> um just being a browns fan ever since i was you know Younger, being originally from uh, Ohio, um, ever since I can remember, you know, maybe the first team I, I enjoyed was, you know, Dallas Cowboys being the uh, America's football team. But growing up and seeing my dad, you know, really have that that faith and attachment to uh, the Cleveland Browns just really brought a different game to the the, the TV. But yes, over the years, it's been a <laughs> agonizing struggle. But loyalty is something to share. But so hopefully, when they do hopefully want to do something like I won't have to be on that uh, bandwagon jumper too much. <laughs> so here's the obvious question. And I've got three candidates. What sports moment, if you were ever, if you had to, if you had to have a sports moment tattooed on your body, what would it be? You think that is the obvious question after that interview? <laughs> Um, well, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Those questions are referring to, we can't answer, my friend. We cannot yeah, answer. I mean, that, answer that, what, what, what you just asked is not the obvious question after that interview. <laughs> I could have a couple of obvious questions. I mean, wow. Wow. In fact, 
Now I regret not even taking the interview longer because I would have wanted to know, does he have a girlfriend or wife? Like, like what do his parents think of the tattoo? Like, I could really go deep down a rabbit hole with our buddy Adam there. Uh, I mean, wow, man. Wow. He's still hanging around if you have another question for him. Adam, are you still there? Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, so Adam, Adam, do you have do you have a are you married? Do you have a girlfriend or anything? I do have a girlfriend. Uh, five years. She's actually a huge Seattle Seahawks fan, so she's not really worried about me too much. <laughs> All right, so so so, what does she think when you told her you were going to get that tattoo? Like, what did she think? <laughs> she's asked me, um, "Is that something you really want?" Because it's going to be there for the rest of your life. <laughs> I said, uh, yeah, it's Browns kind of violently hurting the Steelers. So, yeah, I absolutely want that. <laughs> okay. And you don't think you'll ever you don't think you'll ever regret that, Adam? No, sir. 100% not. I would do it all over again. Especially when my okay. grandma messaged uh, me uh, saying asking for a picture and her <laughs> saying it's absolutely beautiful. No regrets. <laughs> okay. That actually that actually answers all my questions right there. If your grandma <laughs> wanted a picture of it and said, because I was going to go into a big psychoanalysis of mm -hmm. your family. I was going to go back generations and try to figure out where it all went wrong and what happened. But now I know. <laughs> Grammy, Grammy yeah. says it's beautiful and wants a picture of it. I'm good now, Adam. I, I am good. That's all I need to know. It started with grandma and maybe even before her. Got it. Okay. Right. I love it, baby. I think it's outstanding. Everything I love about sports is on your right leg. Adam, thanks again for your time. We will, we will let you get back to your Wednesday, my friend. Appreciate it. I appreciate it, brothers. Thank you so much. Okay, Ross, do you feel like you better understand Adam and the intentions and the desires behind the tattoo? Yeah, yeah, I think I do now. Um, I, I say this a lot, Dave, and people don't understand me when I say this, but there are a lot of people like Adam out there, and there are a lot of people from places where Adam's from that people never think about. You know, whether that's politics or sports or what have you, uh, there there's just a whole different aspect of our country that I think a lot of people don't really know exist. I think Adam was a pretty good example of that. Um, the passion and uh, the willingness to do things like he did, that is that is something. Um, I, that's an interesting question. First of all, there's nothing I would want to go all the way back to your question about something tattooed on my body. The answer is nothing. Um, if I had to, man, it would be something I was a part of. You know what I mean? Like it would be something that was special mm. to me. If you're talking about as a fan, it probably was Penn State winning the national championship in 1987 Fiesta Bowl and beating Miami. Like as a fan, if I wanted to commemorate something in tattoo form, that would be it. But really, um, it would be 
something for me from high school, college, the NFL. I, I don't know what it would be. It'd be something about me in the NFL probably to kind of recognize that. I don't know if it's my first start right. or making the team or whatever, but it'd be something, something like that. Yeah, you, you have a different perspective, having accomplished an awful lot in your athletic endeavors. Now, someone like myself who who tapped out at my senior year in high school, no, there is nothing worthy of a tattoo in my athletic past. So I thought of, because I'm more of the fan here, and so I thought of three moments that really are crystallized in my mind. One, the miracle in Michigan, and I don't know how well you remember Colorado beating Michigan, the famous... Hail Mary into the end zone. We call it the miracle in Michigan. I don't know what Michigan fans uh, call that moment. Uh, talk a lot about that with Christian Fourier, who was in on that very play. Number two is Duke over Kentucky. The throw from Grant Hill to Christian Leitner, the turnaround jumper, dagger, one of my favorite moments. But I was too you know young I was both there, right, Dave? We talked about that, I right? I do know. Before? I do know. Okay. You have told that story, and I'm jealous as hell. So I settled on number three because I was a little older, and it's really my favorite one moment as a fan. Can I guess? Can I guess? John- can I guess? Can I guess? Yeah, yep, can yep, I guess? Yep, yep, go. Yep. The John Elway helicopter against the Packers. <laughs> wow. I'm impressed, man. I'm no, impressed. Because, because, well, number one, that would have been my guess probably anyway. But number two, you said you were a little bit older. I know how much you love the Broncos. They're your number one. I know how much you love Elway. And when you were a little younger, they had lost those Super Bowls. So you had to live with that. And then when they finally won it, and the iconic image of that is either Pat Bowen saying, this one's for John. Either that or Elway doing the helicopter. Look, I didn't care who won that game. Elway doing the helicopter was sweet as shit. There's no question. And so that would be a pretty cool tattoo to have. I don't know how you would visualize like the swoosh or the helicopter part of it. Like I'm sure they could come up with something cool so that people knew what it was, but I knew it, dude. I knew what your number one would be. (laughs) Hey everybody, it's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t